You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. We are the Sacred Collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. Okay. Are we recording yet or no? Yeah, I just started. Okay. Just getting the levels here. Why don't you guys keep chatting for a sec so I can just make sure. Thank you, Scotty, for coming on. Um, Scotty Williams. Scotty Williams. Um, Before we go into, like, some of the questions that we kind of had that I sent to you, um, tell our listeners, um, some of our listeners might know um, our background, but kind of tell how you and I kind of became friends and that whole thing, because I think that's kind of a fun story. Yeah, so um, Brian and I met, yeah, we met in seminary, and um, and it was quite interesting because we were in, I believe it was... um, a theology and film course with Kyle Roberts. And that particular day, um, I had broken up with my girlfriend and then, um, and then I noticed that Brian, I looked over and and he seemed really upset. And I was like, Hey man, what's going on? Or, you know, how are you doing? You all right? And that was the first time we've ever talked. Like, yeah, the first time we did talk. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, you know, are you okay? You know, you look a little, you know, troubled. And then he was like, man, I just broke up with my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was kind of like, yeah, over our breakups, we became, you know, pretty much best best buds from there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, is that the story you were looking for? Yeah. No, it was just kind of funny because, you know, people always will tell you, like, oh, your best friends that you'll meet are in college. And obviously I met my wife, you know, Amanda, through college. And um, I, I was a couple of years ahead of her, but it was like a friend of a friend that Amanda was. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, like, Amanda was probably, like, my best friend from college. And then in seminary, I kind of went in with this pissed off attitude of, like, oh, whatever, I'm not going to meet anybody. Because it was, like, the first year we went by in seminary. And I mean, I met Josh, who's still, you know, a good friend. So I was like, okay, like, you know, that doesn't happen again. And then I met you, and then I met Kayleen. So people who are part of the of the Sacred Collective, and and obviously, like you and I have just grown into this, like best buds. So it's kind yeah. of fun, like how you know a lot of people even say like high school. You know, when you're in high school, you'll be friends with people, and it's more of like college and seminary where my you know lifelong friendships have started or at revolution where i met caleb um that's the story about caleb too if you didn't know scotty that i actually met him at revolution one time i went when i wasn't dabbling in my ucc stuff and i see caleb and it's like oh this person's new like who is this and because obviously revolution isn't that big at least you know people wise that come you know to the physical physical congregation yeah there's quite a number of people that listen online and then i saw caleb and I invited him to Sacred Collective. He came, and then he's like, hey, I do, you know, podcasting stuff. Like, let's record it. And I was like, well, why not? And so then that's kind of how this whole thing happened. Um, well, I think it's awesome what you guys do. I mean, you know, just, you know, that it's not just, you know, listening in on the Sacred Collective, but that you are, you know, interviewing different people and getting all these different perspectives. And yeah, so it's, it's amazing what you're doing. And so thank you. Well, you thank know, you. that's really kind. Thank you. I know you and I talk about our ministry things that we do. So, you mm-hmm. know, you you got my back. I got your back. But 
um, jumping in, um, explain to our listeners um, who you are. Like, so obviously your name, we said it, but kind of like your background, like where you were born, how you were raised, like your your um, kind of trajectory from being like a kid to like where you are now. And there's no, t- you know, time limit. I know some podcasts are like, we'll do it in five or ten minutes, but however long or short you want to go. So just shoot for that. Okay. Well, um, again, my name is Scotty Williams, and I um, am originally from um, the great state of Louisiana, um, was born in the city of Shreveport, but my family is all um, from Pointe Coupe um, Parish, uh, from New Roads in particular, South Louisiana. Um, and yeah, and then um, when I was a teenager, my family moved to Minnesota. And so Minnesota is my second home state. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and so, yes, I feel at home there as well. And where are we talking to you from right now, Scotty? Why don't you tell our listeners that? Yeah. Well, I'm talking to you right now from Switzerland. And um, the reason I'm here is because my wife is Swiss. And um, after we got married, uh, um, she was studying to be a teacher. And for teaching degrees, um, Switzerland is so particular that she couldn't just study, you know, in the States. She had to study um, here in Switzerland. And so then that just sort of uprooted everything. Um, and then I had to come here. Um, but, you know, again, you have originally from Shreveport, Louisiana, family from Point Coupe, um, moved to Minnesota in my teenage years. Um, and then um, during that time, um, I attended Brooklyn Junior High, Park Center Senior High, um, went on to Northwestern College, um, and then after Northwestern, went to Bethel Seminary, where I met Brian. And um, at Bethel, I completed, uh, well, at Northwestern, did a Bachelor's of Ministry, and then at Bethel, did a Master's of Arts, Theological Studies, Historical Studies Emphasis, and then um, did a Doctorate of Ministry in Church Leadership at Bethel. Um, but y- you wanted to know a little bit about how I was raised. Um what in particular do you want to know, um, church-wise or just in general? Uh, yeah, I would say church-wise just because uh, you know, because you've listened to a lot of our episodes, but kind of like we're a hodgepodge of, you know, religious background. Oh, yeah. Some of us are Christians, some of us are atheists, you know, um, on the queer, um, I don't I don't spectrum. know. Spectrum, there we go. Um, so just kind of have our listeners kind of know where your background from that. I know your background, but to just tell the listeners... Okay, so my beginnings with the church, um, yeah, started um, in the womb, and they weren't very positive. <laughs> my mother was, yeah, they weren't positive at all. Um, my mother, um, so so my family is what would be called Black Creole, um, and Black Creole people are typically um, religiously Catholic and Baptist. And Louisiana is a state where the North is Protestant and and Baptist. Um, mainly, and then the South is predominantly Catholic. Oh, I didn't know that. And the Southern part is Anglo um, in its culture, and the Southern part of Louisiana is Francophone. And so my family, Black Creole, the technical term, comes from both ends of the spectrum. Um, But I was raised um, mainly Baptist um, with a pinch of Catholic. But um, again, my um, experience with the church began in the womb, and it wasn't positive. My um, parents weren't married. My mother was 16 years old. And um, when it was discovered that she was pregnant, 
she was brought before the church and um, by, brought, you know, in kind of almost like a trial. And she was asked by the leaders or told to repent of getting pregnant at a young age. And she said, OK, fine. You know, that wasn't the best idea. Wasn't right. Um, but then um, from one of the from many of the stories I'm told, um, they um, some of them wanted to repent of wanted her to confess that I was a sin. Oh, wow. And so my mother refused and she was excommunicated from her church. Mm. And, um, and, and so, and, and when you're excommunicated in this particular Baptist culture, um, you, you know, it's the predominant religion of the area. It's kind of the unofficial state church. And so, you basically, in some cases, um, they practice what's called first, second, and third degree separation. Um, and so there were some people who just, you know, to protect themselves from sin, um, didn't associate even with people who knew my mother. You know, that is first brutal. Separation, yeah, first degree separation is where you don't interact with a person. Second degree separation is where you don't interact with, say, their friend or someone that knows them in the third degree is where you don't interact with a person who knows a friend of theirs, you know? Wow. So, so yeah, sorry, mother, can I interrupt you for one sec? Is that, is that all, like, ahead, yeah. is that all written out? Is that like an official thing or is that an unspoken thing? Is that like in, in the, many churches? It's both, you know, so it, it's the culture in certain areas and in, and in some churches it's, it's there, it's in their, um, you know, congregational wow. um, laws and bylaws. And so, my mother got, you know, third degree separation, you know, basically. And so, um, but, but the, the cool thing was that, that came out of that was that, um, she was kicked out of her church, but there was a church up the road. Um, and the pastor there was, um, my mother was, my mother wasn't the only one kicked out. Um, there was a pastor up the road and he was taking all the excommunicates in. And so he, welcomed me as a, as a, as a kid in, into his congregation um, because since my mother was excommunicated, I also was unofficial. I also yeah. bore the mark by association. The yeah, by association. And so, um, but this one pastor, he welcomed me into his church and I don't know if he knew the situation. Um, his name is John J. Harris, an amazing man. And, um, and and also in that church where he was, um, Cedar Grove Missionary Baptist Church, my great uncle was was a deacon there. My grandmother's brother, um, the lead deacon, and so there was family there, and you know, and that you know let me you know that was my first experience of the church as being a place of love and grace. Mm. And when um, Reverend Harris gave communion. Uh, he would invite sometimes the kids to the table. And so I was allowed to see the ordinances, you know, as Baptists call them. Um, and, you know, and I was welcomed, you know, and, and, um, and so, yeah, but, but, you know, but that, that's my beginnings with, with, with the church. Um, yeah. Grew up Baptist with a pinch of Catholic, um, some Catholic things, then moved to Minnesota and um, after we were there, we attended a Baptist church for a while, a black Baptist church um, in the same denomination that I grew okay. up in, mm-hmm. um, and, um, National Baptist Convention. 
And then um, after, after a while, my family got involved in a prosperity gospel mm. word of faith church, mm-hmm. uh, a <laughs> mega church. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, through that, you know, I saw that it was just rubbish, you know, and, it, and, and there came a point when I was like, because, you know, with, with many of these mega churches um, of, of this of this brand, they will tell people that they their little circle possesses all the truth of Christendom. And so I started thinking, well, you know, I forgot the Baptist church I grew up in. I started thinking, well, then, OK, this this pastor here in his Armani suit with his um, Rolex driving his Bentley mm-hmm. uh, is saying that this is Christianity in its totality. And so in high school, I was like, screw it. I'm done. And I left and I, I switched religions for a while. And then what brought me back um, to Christianity was that one day someone asked me, what are you really angry at? Are you angry at Jesus? Mm-hmm. Are you angry at the, the church? Yeah. And that really struck me, you know, and I went home and I thought, well, I'm angry at the church. And then I thought a little further and I said, you know, well, has the church really hurt me? You know, because the church is, you know, a worldwide body, you know, um, has the church really hurt me? And I went, well, no, this congregation has hurt me. And then I I thought a little further and I said, well, wait a minute, um, has this whole congregation, all 6,000 people hurt me? No. Mm-hmm. It's the pastor, the pulpit pimp, and, and um, <laughs> eight, four, five people, you know, that, that have hurt me. And so then it, it was at that point that I, I started realizing, you know, um, I realized I was hurt by a small, a small group of people, five people pretty much, did that great damage to my, my life, and my faith. Mm. And I said, I'm never going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. But I also sort of made a promise to myself that day that if I ever became a pastor, it would be my mission to um, to help people to heal from that, but also to keep people from going through what I went through. And um, and so that brings me to, you know, where I am now. I am a um, ordained Presbyterian pastor um, the ECO Presbyterian Church, and I'm also, um, after coming to Switzerland, um, I'm also ordained Swiss Reformed. Hmm. And what I currently do is I um, is I planted a congregation um, in the um, in the city of St. Gallen. That's where I currently live in St. Gallen, East Switzerland, on the border with um, Germany and Austria. And um, we started a congregation for English speakers. Um, or those who want to worship in English, and the name is All Souls Protestant Church. And my wife um, named the church All Souls because we said not everyone's a saint, but everyone has a soul. Mm. And so all are welcome. And um, and kind of like your podcast, we have a unique mix of people. We have people who are post-denominational, um, people who are for full inclusion of LGBTQ People who are, you know, all um, who are conservative, um, moderate, you know, liberal, and where this, you know, we have people from Holland, Zambia, or, or Namibia, Hong Kong, 
Um, so we're we're a group of forty five people, but international, diverse, and um, and we're still trying to we're finding our way together. Cool. We're building the plane as we fly it. You know. Mm. Um. So yeah, that's um a little bit about me and. Like I said, my wife is from Switzerland. Um, she's a school teacher and, yeah, an, an amazing woman, you know, and has helped me um, in my theological development, life development. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> can I can I ask you a few questions? Go ahead. That's kind, of, that's kind of what we're doing here. <laughs> um, uh, I It really kind of, uh, my ears kind of perked up when you mentioned um, switching religions and... Uh, I'll, I'll just ask you a few questions and then kind of let you you kind of pick and choose uh, how you want to answer them. I'm uh, the first thing that popped in my head was of course you know what religion you switched to, and then the second thing that popped in my head is um, do was there a was there a time in between um, Christianity and whatever uh, whatever else you landed on, or did you just kind of immediately go from from one to the other? And then also I'm wondering. Uh, do you still retain anything from that experience? Obviously, you're a very intelligent person, and, and I'm sure that your convictions <laughs> led you. <laughs> what? I don't think I'm that intelligent, but thank oh, you. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, you hang out with this guy, so yeah. No, if I'll, you're friends with Brian, you can't I'll, be that I'll bright. Scott is one of the most smartest people I know, but that's my bias. Anyway, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah, and the, just the last thing I was wondering: Yeah, is, is, do you, do you still retain anything uh, from that that, that you that attracted you to it? Because I think if if something is attractive to you or makes sense to you at some point in time, there has to be some. Um, I, I think a lot of people might might kind of uh, push against things for whatever reason they have, and, and maybe it's a valid reason. But if it made sense to you at one point in time, then there probably has to be some sort of substance there that was that was worth paying attention to. So that's kind of that's my jumble of a bunch of different questions that popped in my head when you mentioned that. Okay, so um, what happened, you know, with, with, with so what made me switch um, religions, there was no in-between time. Okay. There was switch. Um, mm-hmm. And I switched to Sufism, basically. Oh, cool. Um, you know, and, 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 um, and what made me make the switch was that there were black Muslims in the school that, and, and, um, this was in high school, black Muslims in the school and, um, and, and, you know, black Muslims, nation of Islam on the streets. Mm. And they were all talking about how Christianity was the white man's religion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and at that time also another, another point is that I, um, the emphasis in my master's, you know, when I was doing my master's was in patristics and looking at the um, church fathers. I love the church fathers and, and the church mothers. And um, and I had no idea about the ancient African church churches. Um, most, you know, Af- most black people, most African-Americans don't. That Christianity was in Africa before it came to Europe and that there are ancient churches there. And so all I heard about was, well, Islam and most black Louisianians are descended from people from, from Senegalese and Gambian slaves and also people, Malian slaves and our ancestors were Muslims. And so I just concluded, well, this is, this is, this is the true religion, Mm. but I went to Sufism in particular because, you know, I was, um, you know, word of faith, prosperity gospel is Pentecostal charismatic Mm -hmm. in style. And Sufism um, talks about, 
the spirit of God, mm. you know, God dwelling within you, and mm. there's it's mysticism. And yeah, I, I was like gonna say that's mystic- a more mystical form of Islam. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. So I was, and I was in the, this more mystical form, and I even remember to this day um, my favorite verse um, from the Quran, um, from Surah Luqman. It says, "And if all the trees were pins with seven other seeds to help it, and, and the seeds with seven other seeds to help it were ink, the words of God could not be exhausted." Lo, God is mighty. God is wise. Mm. And that verse, you know, really touched my heart and um, drew me into it. But I also went into it because of idealism, because I was seeing, you know, the Muslims I knew, um, they were like very straight laced people. They, They lived what they believed. And the other thing was, I grew up in a single parent home. I didn't have a daddy, you know, so. I'm seeing these Muslim families where there's a father that's there. And and also like in, in the in the church, it was mostly women, you know, leading the home and leading in spirituality. And then I'd see the Muslims I knew it was the men who were taking an active role. You know, you'd see the guy going to the mosque on Friday um, in, in the white robe with with his son in the white robe, you know. And so that attracted me. And this and and so I thought, wow, you know, this religion has it together. But what I didn't see were the problems, you know, that just like Christianity has hypocrisy, um, the Muslim community had hypocrisy, and the Sufis had it as well. And so, um, as I started noticing the hypocrisy, you know, also in Islam, you know, no religion, um, no community is perfect, you know, religious or irreligious. Um, that is when I started to question it. And then that's when someone came along and said, well, what are you really mad at? Are you mad at Jesus or the church? And also, uh, and um, you ask what I've retained from that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've retained is, and um, you know, it, it, I would say is this understanding of, you know, that, that someone can leave Christianity, but not leave Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's what I've retained. I left Christianity at that point, but I didn't leave Christ. Mm. And, um, you know, and and a lot of people, I think, who leave the church aren't aren't aware of that. And, and I'd also say this also in hindsight, I don't even think I left Christianity. I left what um, Sean Moore would call churchianity. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, about this particular and, and about a particular church. I left churchianity but but christ mm-hmm. again was always there always mm-hmm. present and so that's what i've taken away from that and mm-hmm. i've also taken away a, a, a respect for the muslim community and mm-hmm. a love for the muslim community mm-hmm. you know um yeah so yeah cool uh, uh, that is uh-huh. no i'm sorry go ahead i said i hope that um is satisfactory. <laughs> totally, yeah, yeah. I was just curious because, like, especially once you, when you quoted uh, that verse that you said touched you so much, and that was a beautiful verse. It sounds like it still resonates with you, um, and so I was, I was just wondering, um, like, I don't, and I don't know anything about your personal uh, worldview or theology or anything, but if it, if you do think, um, you know, that, that scripture is, is God breathed, which of course is a a, a a church churchianity phrase, a, a Christianese phrase. Um, would would you would you say that parts of um, of other scriptures, like the the Torah and stuff like that, could, would also be God breathed? Um, I would see it this way. You know, um, 
I'm reformed. So, you know, I follow Zwingli, Calvin, um, the Swiss reformers and, and a hint of Luther as well. But, um, I would see it this way. The reformers believed that, you know, all truth is God's truth. You know, whether mm-hmm. it comes from a Muslim, whether it comes from an, an atheist, that all truth belongs to God. Um, and I would say this, that that verse still touches my heart because there is truth to that. I believe that God is in the classical Christian tradition. God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. And so therefore, God's words can't be exhausted. Hmm. And so and so I believe that that, that is that is the truth. That is true. You know, um, that, that, that verse. And um, and and so therefore it belongs to God. You know, um, it's God's truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I would say this. My personal theology is I think that as as a classical Christian, I'm a classical Reformation, moderate evangelical Christian. Um, evangelical in the Reformation sense, not in the cheesy "Jesus is my friend" sunseed sense. Um, <laughs> that was a good throwback. That was a good throwback. Yeah, I know. I had to go there, man. Um, <laughs> to our listeners, watch but I'm that a classical. Video. Yeah, I'm a classical evangelical Reformation evangelical. So I, fo- I really follow the reformers. So I believe that the Bible, you know, is the word of God. Um, is the you know is, is as far as revelation. The, the best one, shall we say, but that doesn't, but, but I also think that other religions have glimpses of, uh, of, of God. Like I imagine it as this, that there's a mirror and you know, that reflects that, 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 um, that has been broken, you know, oh. shattered. And there are different, and every religion has a different piece, but I think Christians have, the biggest piece, shall we say, or or, or the, the the more clear piece, okay, um, to other religions, you know. So yeah, okay, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I follow I follow your logic. I, yeah, I, I can... and Zwingli, for example, my favorite theologian, in his writings, um, when he describes heaven, um, he is seeing Greek philosophers there. Yeah, sure. You know, you know pagan Greek philosophers, and he says, you know, we cannot deny God's revelation in the wisdom of the old. And so that's also where my view is rooted. I think that God's revelation is also in that old wisdom. Hmm. Um, yeah. Kind of a shameless plug. Um, obviously, Scotty and I, as good friends, we don't always see our, theolo- our theology eye to eye, but when Amanda and I went and visited Scotty and Maria, what was that, 2012? Um, yeah. We kind of one of the things. Well, I was actually hired by your old church to be. Yeah, he was. He was a theologian in residence. Theologian in residence, <laughs> which was cool because that was like two weeks, and that was the first time I think your church had ever had someone do that. But one of the things yeah. we did, uh, well, we got to see, and like I actually showed Caleb the picture from the wedding you did the other day on just how gorgeous this cathedral, beautiful that you were in, and I was like, that's how churches are in Europe. Um, like ours are pathetic in america compared compared to europe's but one of the things that we did was we went all over to like the major cities in in switzerland and and the one that like really touched me the most was actually going to john calvin's church in geneva and actually seeing the church where john calvin preached 
And I don't, I, there's some parts of Calvin's theology, I don't want, you know, I'm not a Calvinist, but I'm not going to throw everything out that he said or he believed in because a lot of the yeah. stuff was good. Um, just like any theologian, you don't have to agree with everything what he or she says. But I remember seeing, like, I got to touch, like, the pulpit where Calvin preached at, and I got to sit, like, where he sat, and then we actually went to, like, his um, his headstone in, in the, in the um, cemetery. And just to, and for me, and it was funny because, like, my wife's really into, like, art and, and all that, and I remember us going to like an art exhibit um which is another whole story we could go down but Pippi Lota. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in st gallen actually which is funny because now you live there yeah. but when going to all these cathedrals and seeing all this theology i don't care if you're a christian agnostic atheist you know part of another religion it just was awesome and amazing to see these older churches that are you know a thousand years old and seeing people that you read about like if you went to like if you grew up in church or if you grew up in going to seminary or or bible college or whatever and seeing these you know men and women's i think wasn't it and uh i forget what was it erasmus or whatever that we saw like his erasmus tomb in basel yeah in basel and he died in the 900s and like he was buried there and we walked right there and i i mean i got teary-eyed not because i was like oh i loved erasmus but to be like these are the people, and sometimes we get in Christianity, we just we think of Christianity just like in the present or maybe in the future. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we forget what men and women in the faith have done centuries before, like, we're on the scene. You know, we as our, you know, individual selves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing why I loved being in Europe and in Switzerland, being like how the history of Christianity was shown, and like I said, I don't have to agree with everything and what these men and women did. But even Scotty, with your background and like more church history, of showing me and Amanda like just the history within Christianity and what these men did for the faith was was pretty amazing. Yeah, I guess jumping in, kind of going into another question that kind of just leads right into what we're talking about is. Um, there's the buzzword of deconstruction and there's podcasts about deconstruction. We can talk a little bit about that. Cause I think all of us, you and me, Scotty and Caleb, and probably most of our listeners, we've deconstructed our, our religion or our faith within Christianity to a certain extent. But I mean, kind of a two part question. What do you think about like the pros and cons of deconstruction and then kind of pigeonholing that into, um, deconversion? Why, why do so many people who deconstruct, like I've deconstructed, but instead of leaving, leaving the faith, like many do, I left certain aspects of Christianity that I thought were toxic. Um, but some people who just deconvert to the point of not deconverting to be like into another religion, but just deconverting all of themselves, whether being atheist, agnostic, or none. Well, what I'd say about deconverting is, is that deconverting it um traditionally it's a christian or not deconverting sorry um deconstructing first deconstructing is a normal christian discipline traditionally it was a a christian practice and so what um what what would happen in olden times is like with the puritans for example when you read their writings um and um i'm reading marsden's um right now marsden's biography of jonathan edwards I'm just going through it 
for the second time. And Jonathan and Marston was writing how Jonathan Edwards had this religious experience um, when he was a boy and he would go into the woods with his friends and he would have like a church service there. And, you know, and most, you know, parents today, you know, in, in, in um, many Christian traditions would go, wow, my kid is saved. Mm-hmm. Well, Jonathan Edwards' father didn't believe any of it. He didn't buy any of it. He, he actually said, you know, um, his son had built up this, this, this form of religion, this faith, and his father saw his role as to deconstruct that, to pick it apart, to help Jonathan to understand that what he had built up is not real Christianity. It's something that you've generated within yourself based on feelings, and, and it hasn't been tested. And so Christianity, I would say deconstruction, is a discipline of Christianity, a classical discipline. Even when you go to, and especially in the Western tradition, um, despite all of its problems, the thing that I, the reason I stay um, in the Western tradition, yeah, because we are the, I think the only one out of all the Christian traditions that's actually self-critical. We've mm. had more, than, you know, every 500 years, practically, as Phyllis Pickle pointed out, we have a reformation where people look at the theology, you know, and we throw everything, we throw a bunch of stuff out and we sort of recalibrate, reset. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's in the DNA of the Western tradition mm-hmm. to to deconstruct and, yeah. I, and also with apophatic theology, mm-hmm. um, the apophatic tradition, you know, of saying what God, um, of explaining God. And 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 um, you know, and different spiritual concepts um, by negation. Mm-hmm. You know, saying what God is not rather than what God is. Yeah. You know, so I was that that deconstruction. It's it, it, it's 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 a part of Christianity. It, it, it's it's within the DNA mm-hmm. of, of the Christian religion. But what's happened that's led to what we see today is that, and it started from what from. You know, I've read up on it. Um, it started in the in the 20th century, probably. Well, I would even say maybe even in revivalism, but it reaches sort of its zenith in the 20th century. Is that we got rid of the de- of of deconstructing, and it became all about assurance, mm-hmm. knowing when you were saved, knowing what you believe. Christianity, in the, in, especially in America, moved in this overly positive direction, and and so you know, and 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 questioning wasn't allowed, mm-hmm. you know. So like today, we sang a hymn, and I love that hymn, but it sort of reflects this thinking, you know, or some people I think interpret it: I need no other argument, I need no other plea. Mm-hmm. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. And, and I believe that, and that's wonderful. But some Christians think that that means that um, that, that, that that should mean you know that the death of Christ, the end of all arguments, the end of all questioning, the mm. end of all of all of that. And 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 also, I think the um, the clergy in the West, church leaders, have encouraged this also this positive theology, you know, from the pulpit, telling people you need to get to a point. Where you are sure, more you assure you are sure about Christ, and and it's all or nothing, you know. And um, and, and I'll go with him all the way, 
and 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 we've taken we've made this this deconstructing negative and so what's happened now is is that um the church for especially in the 80s and the 90s um presented itself as having all the answers and you couldn't question and 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 it presented its magic formulas as well you know saying if you follow these seven steps you'll have your best life now and our generation comes along and we're like well it didn't work yeah and 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 so what we're longing for with deconstruction is i think that like it's it's something that we almost ha- have to do it, it's it's like a line has been backed up mm-hmm. it's been blocked mm. you know and now there has to be you know there has to be a, a release of some sort mm. you know and so what we're seeing now with this massive way for deconstruction, especially in the American church, is that there was kind of a buildup, a backup. And now hmm. it, it sort of, you know, it sort of ha- it has to happen. And so with deconstruction, I think it, it's it's a an essential part of the Christian tradition. But what we did in the American church is we made everything positive and we said, well, no, don't deconstruct. Get to a point where you need no other argument. You need no other plea. Um, you'll go with Christ all the way. You're you're sure, you know, um, blessed assurance in the wrong way, mm-hmm. shall we say. So huh. that's my part about deconstruction. Um, uh-huh. What do you think? <laughs> well, what do you think about, I mean, I, I stepped away to use the restroom, but um, what do you think about the influx of people our age? I would say, like, we're... Technically, we're millennials. I guess there's a new psychologist and sociologists are saying that we're zennials. The, yeah, the, the, it's the, scientifically proven. You're zennials. Well, no, so. they, they actually come out now and said that because um, millennials go up to like 96. And let's be honest, as us early, I mean, Scotty and I are the same age and Caleb, you're in your early Close 30s. behind. Um, but they actually say zennials are like 77 to like 87. And then, How do you spell that? Zennials. Just X. X. Instead of millennials, it's just an X, like Xennials. X is for Xennials, like, um, like in a yeah, children's book. But I think, and I have my, obviously I, I we all have our own views and our own takes on stuff, but I I think deconstruction, like I agree with Scotty 100%, of deconstruction is a very Christian idea. And I think every religion, if you look, if you were part of it, whether you're a Muslim or maybe a Hindu or a Buddhist, there might be some sort of deconstruction within that framework of the, those religions. I mean, I haven't studied them, but I, I would say that's probably safe to say there's some deconstruction in it. Um, but I think with de- uh, with the, I guess, huge influx of people like deconverting, I would say that people are deconverting not because they have this anger or angst against Jesus, but that they have an anger and angst against a church, a group of people, a pastor, a situation or thing that happened. And I can respect that. And I want them to um, be in that grief, be in that whatever that triggered them, the religious trauma, all those, those words. But I do think, like you were saying, Scott, and I agree 100% that I think a lot of it is people are deconverting because they never were given the time to deconstruct. They were never given yep. the time to to deconstruct their feelings. And I remember kind of going back and talking about deconstruction 
where you and I were in a theology class at Bethel, and I forget what class, but I think I had made a statement. I knew in my heart I was a, a Christian universalist, but I made a statement in a class that pretty much, I was kind of like Bart, where I kind of like did the party line of like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a universalist if you think I am, but I'm not like in in like saying it to people. But I I think you, I came up to you and pretty much said that I was, but then you heard other people like in the library or at lunch saying, well, how dare Brian be this, he's a universalist, why is he at Bethel, blah, blah, blah. And I think going back to that like important time in my life and, and in school, I was saying like I was deconstructing but being in that seminary at that time, there wasn't that space for me to deconstruct. And But mm-hmm. yet, like what you were saying, and I agree, where that deconstruction is built into our faith, but in the, la- you know, in the last 30, 40 years, the American church, at least, was never given the, I guess, go-ahead, the green light to actually deconstruct. And I think all of us younger people in like our you know, 20s into early 40s are now being like, you know, fuck the church, we're done with it, uh, it's over, mm-hmm. like, I don't believe in God, and I can respect that, but I think it's a little mis- misguided in a way because it's like we were never given that point to deconstruct our thoughts, our feelings, whatever, and then we're like, well, there is no God, or God is this, or God is that, which is fine. But I think it's just, to, to kind of bring it all together, we weren't given the time to deconstruct our feelings, and therefore, not given the time to deconstruct our feelings or our thoughts or whatever on God or the church or our theology has led to a mass influx of people deconverting from Christianity altogether. Exactly. And and, and what I would say is this, you know, is that like, because I noticed, you know, when you mentioned like um, deconverting, you know, it, it, and, and it, you know, and where the deconstructing, the epicenter of it is, is I find like in mainly in like, you know, a certain form of white evangelicalism in particular, because you don't see this happening like in the black church as much, you know, people are leaving, but they're they're going usually to, um, you're seeing a rise of the black Hebrew Israelites and groups like that. And, um, and the church that my family went to, the prosperity gospel church was predominantly white evangelical. And so, I spent time in that world, and and what I noticed is that in this branch of of evangelicalism, um, it was heavy with what one guy calls the transaction model of God, where it where it, 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 it's almost like Tetzel and, and indulgences during the Reformation, mm-hmm. but it's Bible based, you know, where people were told, you know, if you do what the pastor says, um, <clears throat> you know, you will have um, a good life. If you kiss dating goodbye, you know, do what this book says, you know, and, no, no, and not to, not to put down brother Harris, but if you kiss dating goodbye, you know, and do what this book says, you know, and like growing up in the black Baptist church, we, I mean, we had our preachers who, who spoke, um, you know, who, who spoke like ex cathedra as if their words were total truth. Um, but I noticed when I entered white evangelical circles, there was, you know, almost kind of these 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 celebrity preachers or not celebrity, but but, but like, like um, you know, people were looking to pastors to tell them um, what to do in their sex life. People were looking to pastors 
or, or church leaders to, to tell them all sorts of things. And, and the church would make these promises. If you do this and this and this, if you follow my words, if you follow these three steps, if you pray the prayer of Jabez, um, you will have um, God will reward you with this. And so I think a lot of our generation who grew up in these circles, um, we, 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 we followed the transaction model. And we not only got the transaction model, I found it just in religion, we got it in life as well. For many people I find who come from these circles, they also complain about how their family had certain expectations they had to live up to. And if they lived up to those expectations, they would have love. They would have understanding. They would have grace. They would have these things that you should just freely, free, freely get. Mm-hmm. And so the works based economy, what, I guess. Yeah, a very, very much a works based economy. And and like and, and, and so I think now what's happening is, is what people are deconverting from, you know, is they're deconverting from this transaction model of God. And I, w- I would go to say is this deep down inside, we know, you know, and some of my reformed brethren and sistren might disagree, but I think deep down every human being knows what's the real God and what's not. We know deep down what's 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 fake and, and what's what's truth. We we have a sense of it. And I think our generation looks at this transaction model God and we're like, we don't see this, you know, also in the scriptures, you know, we know that, that it's, it, it's fake. We deconvert from what is false. You know, that, that, that's what I, what I think. And I think, and I'm glad to see these deconversions because this transaction model God, it, it, it's unbiblical. It's unchristian. It, to me, it's a pagan concept, you know, and, and it's very destructive. Um, I'm thinking about like, for example, you know, with the LGBTQ, um, you know, issues or issues of sexuality. There are some people I've met who say, well, um, I think I might be be gay or, or, or trans and my parents have completely rejected me and don't love me. And their parents will tell them, until you get right, we can't give you love and acceptance. Or even someone who has um, premarital sex, they're, they're told, well, I failed in this, and my family um, ha- um, has, 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 has rejected me. My family hasn't given me love and care and acceptance. It's dangerous. A transaction model God leads to a transaction model life. Mm. And so I'm glad that people are deconverting from that that nonsense, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I'm curious when you said um, about how uh, truth. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly how you said it. Uh, and correct me if I'm if I'm misquoting you or, or misparaphrasing. Uh, but yeah. I think you said something around how um, if something is true, then it'll it'll sit right with you you know or it'll um it, it is obvious if it's if it is if it is truth or if it is from god i guess um i'm curious what are are there it sounds like there might be i suspect there might be but uh are there any uh big like kind of hot button issues in the evangelicalism in, in mainstream evangelicalism that you um that you would disassociate yourself from or, or that you disagree with because i know there's a lot of stereotypes around 
evangelicals, uh, particularly like you were saying, like with like white evangelicals and uh, you know people who are more moderate or conservative and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm just curious: is there anything in uh, maybe you use the phrase "your reformed brothers and sisters"? Is there any are there any reformed brothers or sisters that you have that you feel like make up a, a majority? That you would be able to just say, oh yeah, well this is this is something that I disagree with, or do you feel like you're you're uh, pretty much on board with with the kind of uh, the majority stance on things? No, I disagree with a lot, you know, because again, I know there are different forms of evangelical, and I'm unashamedly a classical Reformation evangelical. Yeah, yeah, you keep you keep saying that, and I'm. I'm I, it, it's I, I have a lot of Calvinist friends, and I was raised Southern Baptist and stuff like that, you know. And uh, yeah. I, it just sounds like some of the stuff that you're that you're saying. Uh, I have a lot of Calvinist friends who'd be like, "Well, that that doesn't add up. That's not you know Reformed theology." But I'm just curious. Well, I mean, it, well, well, to explain that, here's the interesting thing: is in the U.S. there is Calvinism, you know, there's John Calvin, but in Switzerland, there the Reformed tradition is very broad okay. because there. Um, Calvin is just one of several um, reformers. And so for me, I'm more in line in alignment with Zwingli and Luther. Um, the technical name for my theology is Uniert or United hmm. um, Church. Uniert in German, United. So that means that like in most things I'm reformed in this broad sense, you know, and then Eucharistically, I'm 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 close to Lutheran sacramentality on huh. some point, but um, but you know, so I'm approaching it not just looking at it from Calvin. And here's the other thing: most Calvinists in America are only looking at uh, their Calvinism is based on a select few works. Mm. Um, they're not you know like. Even now, there's a project going on in um, in Den Haag, in the Netherlands, um, where they're looking at Calvin's unpublished sermons. So, you know, yeah, there's the Institutes of the Christian Religion, but Calvin said a lot of other amazing things. But then you also have Zwingli of um, Zürich, who founded the Reformed tradition, Eukolampadius of Basel, um, Martin Busse, Guillaume Farel, Joachim Fadian of St. Gallen, and so I draw from that wider reform tradition, um, you know, so, so yes, yeah, so this is where my perspective differs from, from a Calvinist. Um, Pardon my ignorance, but can, can you, can you tell me specifically what that, uh, where, where that um, diverges? What's, what are the, like the pillars of Calvinism? There's, there's like an the acronym. Tulip. Tulip, yeah. Are you, are you all about the tulip and like the the elect? And I know I'm just throwing out. I'm sound ignorant. Well, here's probably. what's interesting. Much of what we know as Calvinism, you know, especially like the tulip and things, that came post Calvin after he was dead. Um, his successors or his contemporaries developed his theology. And if you go, for example, to Holland, you see all different kinds of Calvinism. You have the Orthodox Calvinism, which is, you know, we call it black stocking Calvinism, where the women back in the day were um, wearing black stockings to protest the unholy flesh colored stockings. You have um, the more softer, you know, Calvinism. And even here in Switzerland, like the church that I was in, um, in, in Bern, the Bernerminster, where I just did this wedding, um, that part of the Swiss Reformed Church leans more towards Calvin. 
And this is a church that is, um, you know, Calvinist in many ways. Um, it it ordains women. Um, it blesses um, there. You they, 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 um, same sex marriage is allowed. You know, and and, and these this church looks to Calvin. And so, um, huh? I've never heard of an affirming Calvinist, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot. There's a lot of. I mean, even in the U.S., the Christian Reformed Church, my denomination, um, the ECO. Um, we ordain the PCUSA. We ordain women. Um, wow, cool. You know, and so, yeah, and so, so I think what a lot of people see as Calvinism is just one strand, mm. and what informs my reform perspective is, yeah, there's some Calvin there, but there's Zwingli, there's Euclidempadius, there is um, Haller, you know, um, Joachim Fadian. All of these, uh, and then some women, Olympia Morata, um, Marie Dantier, um, Agula von Grumbach, you know, all of these. You're making these up. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm just joking. I'm just pulling it out of where the <laughs> yeah. sun don't shine. No, um, Scotty, <laughs> real quick. Um, could you, like, after we're done recording, could you maybe send me, like, an email of some of these people's names? Not necessarily their work, but just their names, so then when we put up our episode and put it in the show notes. We can put it in the show. Yeah, notes this is so great. That, very so, so that people who are listening, if they really are resonating with what you're saying or wanting to understand about Calvinism more or reformed stuff, um, that they can go to these, you know, authors, if you could do that. Yeah, definitely. Cause half these names sounds like you're just clearing your throat and I'm not going to remember any of these <laughs> names. <laughs> <Yeah>. German names. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but no, but you were asking about, you know, like with, with, with evangelicalism mm-hmm. and like, you know, and, and reformed parts of the community. Like what I love about my Presbyterian church and the reformed church that I'm in is, but, but mainly Presbyterian church is that we, we have more than just one confession. We have a book of confessions. And so we've got things from the Dutch reformed tradition, the, you know, of course the Scottish reformed tradition, the Swiss reformed, the German reformed. And so, and that, that's what led me, you know, um, well, what made what helped me to go into the Reformed faith was that it was the first place where I was allowed to deconstruct. Reformed people hmm. love to pick apart. And so the deconstructing, I could ask questions. And the pastor was like, don't take everything I say. Please question me. And I'd never seen that before, you know. But but the other thing that, that led me there was that there was this confessional, confessionally, it was, it was broad. There was an openness that was there. There was room. Um, within the Reformed House. Um, so that's what led me to where I am. Um, but to answer your question about evangelicalism, um, when I say I'm a classical evangelical, you know, there's different types. Um, I, I'm unashamedly evangelical because I believe in the good news of Jesus. Um, but also um, there is a social element behind evangelicalism in the Reformation sense. Um, the idea of social justice, the idea of of, 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 um, you know, honest work and, and, and loving your neighbor. These are hallmarks, uh, are trademarks of classical evangelicalism. And also it's a classically humanist tradition as well. And so that's what, why I go there. But I think what's being presented is evangelicalism today, um, coming from certain streams in the American church, I would almost say that it's not evangelical at all. You know, it really has gone off off the rails. Hmm. 
you know, I disagree with um, a lot with 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 how it engages in politics. You know, um, when you look at the American church, for example, political engagement used to be that the biggest, you know, like separation of church and state in America was founded, was started by Roger Williams, a Baptist minister. It's a Christian principle. And evangelicals used to be the biggest proponents of that. And now what you're starting to see is certain evangelical groups in America are doing away with that, you know, overriding that principle. And so, so I disagree with how evangelicals are engaging with politics. I disagree with how certain evangelicals are engaging with sexuality. I think that, that um, the liberal and the conservative approach, you know, seeing things in black and white, or, you know, which is the conservative one, or, you know, and then gray areas, the more liberal approach, as I would define it, I think they're both wrong. I think we need to see things in color. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and really, and really, you know, with sexuality, look at it as just more than the erotic, you know, um, like um, my church, my, my current congregation, we have a gathering called Table Talk where, um, you know, so we have a classical service, then we have Table Talk and it's where we discuss a topic. And um, our people said, hey, we need to figure out where are we as a community when it comes to um, LGBTQ issues, you know, LGBTQ inclusion. And I said to them, I was like, well, you know, that's just one paradigm of human sexuality. Let's have a table talk about sexuality. Hmm. And, um, and, and, and so, and that table talk went for like four or five hours. And there were people who were more fundamentalist minded people, more, you know, progressive, you know, full inclusion, moderate people, but but we came to the point to say all of us are sexually broken in some way in our paradigms of sexuality. And all of us are thinking that, you know, that it's about who we're attracted to and who and what we or who, who we sleep with, you know. And, and I was like, but really, sexuality is more than just I'm gay, I'm hetero, I'm, I'm, I'm this and this. It also is you're a son, you're a daughter. You're a friend. You're a brother. You're a sister. Um, it's it, it's it, it, it's the totality of, of of life. And so, I disagree. You know, the main point with how evangelicals have taken one extreme or the other. You know how they've approached sexuality. I think we need to see things in color. Mm. And um, yeah, and so those are just a few things. I, I hope that all made sense. Um, I yeah. think yeah. so. I, I think so. Um, Scotty, I want to ask you, what do you think about, um, uh, not to necessarily the institutional church, but what do you feel about, and I, don't, I hate using, there's not good enough language, I think, but churches, or not churches, but ministry um, outside of the four walls of the church. Um, mm. like, do you think that that's the future of the church, I mean, because I know, like, and obviously you know me, and you might have a bias, but like, I feel that the church, the four walls of the church, church two point or whatever language we want to use for that, I, I, I personally, I personally think is dying. 
um, at least in America, and obviously you're in a different context now in Europe, specifically in Switzerland than, than in the American context, but you, you know, you are an American, you're from here. Um, but what do you, what do you feel about, I guess, the institutional church, um, universal, I guess, and then also kind of pigeon, pigeonholing that into another question of what do you feel like of, of church, like kind of like a, a new wave of Christianity, meaning like, um, church 3.0 or church outside the four walls of the church and ministry like that? Well, what I would say is, is that, you know, before I get to institution, um, you, you know, I was just in Amsterdam um, doing a course on pioneering. And so what I would call ministry out of the four walls of the church is pioneering. And, um, and what I'd say is this is that pioneering is a part of the traditional ministry of the church. You know, when you go back to the, like, St. Gallen, where I live, um, is named after St. Gall um, or Gallus. Gallus was a monk from Ireland who came to East Switzerland and, and started a ministry with a wild, crazy group that, um, or one of the wild, crazy um, Germanic tribes that eventually, that's the ancestors of the Swiss people. Um he was ministering outside of the, you know, he was pioneering um, Pope Gregory the Great's Irish mission, you know, uh, when he's sending off all these monks around Europe, that was ministry outside. The Celtic tradition was pioneering. And I think what's happened in the American church is that we, we've neglected this important part of ministry. We've neglected this traditional paradigm, this, this paradigm, and we've settled for and I won't say institutional church, I would say established church. And established church becomes the goal as well. You know, so like when I was in Amsterdam, they described it as there are three forms of church. And they looked at it as, you know, there's the camper, you know, um, that that you hitch to the back of your car. There's camper church. Then there's tiny house church. And then there is... You know, um, it, it, you know, it's like a home, but, you know, it, it's, you know, it has all the comforts of home, but you, it can, it's still mobile. mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, of course, the, the, the house, the, the, the established, it's fixed in one place, you know, and it's got its foundations and you're paying a mortgage. And I think that, you know, tradi- that, that like um, what's happened is, is that every church plant I know, or many church plants I know, and originally with church planting, you know, and also even like with your ministry, when we had this discussion, we both were sort of encouraged, or we both sort of felt this need to make our communities a house. And what's happening now is with this pioneering work is they're saying, well, some communities are just meant to be a camper forever. Some communities are meant to be, you know, a tiny house. You, you know, um, it, it, there's nothing wrong with being a camper. There's nothing wrong with with aiming to be a tiny house. We don't all have to build these big established um, homes in the suburbs, you know. And so, you know, but going and and then this leads into you know established churches, at least institutional institutional church is it's necessary. Just and it's just as needed as 
as um, new communities like the Sacred Collective or the or or tiny house communities like um, All Souls Protestant Church, my um, my the congregation I currently serve. I think we need all these forms of church because, like in my case, you know, I uh, because this is the other thing. Um, what people don't realize is, or, or what we forget is, that abuse happens will happen in any form of church you do because you got human beings in community with one another. Right. You know, wherever human beings go, trouble follows. <laughs> you know, and um, and, and like. You know, and like people that come to All Souls, for example, uh, um, some some of the people that come by grew up in um, we call it house Christ or house groups. Their only experience of church was that you had the past, the, you you had the group leader, and t- uh, you know, and twenty people meeting in a living room, and they experienced abuse there. Um, and so they come to All Souls, and we have more of that established. Church, we're more of a tiny house, but that, that established church feel. And they come there and they're like, wow, I'm so glad to have this and to have the liturgy and to have the, 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 these traditions and not to be in this group where they're speaking in gibberish and um, there's the guru leading 20 people. Mm-hmm. You know, but then, but then there's the other way around where you have house groups and there are folks who were hurt by established church with liturgy. And they go there and they go, wow, I'm glad to be in a group where nothing is fixed, where there is, you know, the, the guru, but the guru loves everybody. And um, and we eat together and we go we go and, and, and there isn't official doc, doctrinal statements. You know, I think we need all those forms of church. We need that diversity also because people are diverse. And, and at different points in our journey, um our religious journey, our faith journey, whatever you want to call it, um, we need different forms of church. So there's been points in my life where I've needed the bells and smells of, of the Catholic church. Then there's points in my life and faith where I've needed that jumping, shouting, um, foot washing, hollering, backwood Baptist. <laughs> um, and then there's points in my life where I've needed, you know, the reformed liturgy. Um, so I would say that the church of the future I don't imagine that we're, it's just pioneers, you know, um, I imagine that it's all these forms of church coexisting together, you know, realizing that, that, that they need each other. And another thing is in pioneering um, in Holland, what they realized is that they had five types of churches in their system. You've got the established churches, of course, um, the old Dutch reform congregations, then you've got, um, they called it um, renewal communities. And these are things like, um, like we'll say like, um, you know, almost like a, a, a alpha live course or, you know, where they lower the threshold and, and people get together and have cake and coffee. And these renewal communities um, bring people in to the established church. Then you've got places of presence. Um, and this is like, you know, a hospital chaplain or just the guy that lo- or gal that loves Jesus and is um, praying for people on the bus, you know, um, and, and not getting paid for it. You know, and then you have like what we're doing, pioneering communities, you know, new expressions of church, new ways of doing church, um, 
you know, new forms. And then, then lastly, you have dying churches. And, and I'll say this is another problem that I see. In the West, we want things to last forever. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know even, even with our vacuum cleaners, we say this will is guaranteed to last you 50 years, and here's the warranty for it. Mm-hmm. We built churches with this idea in mind that we want to leave a legacy that will never die. Mm-hmm. And what we need to accept is that churches are living organisms like people, yeah. and churches have a lifespan. Mm-hmm. So churches will die, yeah. and yeah. we need to let some go gracefully. And I think what's happening in Europe and and in America is that we keep pumping life and pumping resources into churches that we need to let die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm hearing a motif from you, Scotty, and I'm, I'm curious if uh, if you can give me any, any feedback and let me know if I'm right or wrong here. Uh, I really like like that metaphor that you kind of started out the conversation with about you're you're on a plane that you're repairing as it's in flight, and mm-hmm. and um, and now you're you're talking about you you sit you mentioned I guess after that about um, idealism being what uh, turned you on to to Islam or to the nation of Islam. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now, you know, you, and you're talking about how, uh, things come in cycles and, and with deconstruction, that that is a, an essential cycle. It seems like you're expressing that like the philistical reference and about, um, yeah. uh, y- y- you know, needing deconstruction and, uh, needing adaptability and things like that. Do you see any end game, any, um, is, is there an ideal model where the plane is perfect and we never have to touch the engine again? Like, like this ideal vacuum cleaner sort of thing, you know, like is, is this just always a work in progress or, or do you, how, how would you respond to that? Hmm. I would say that, um, every community has to have a goal of, uh, you know, you know, with building the plane as you fly it, like, so like at all souls, for example, our church is now almost about four years old and we are still asking the question continuously of what do we want to become? You know, because, you know, you can build a plane, but what do you want to use that plane for? Yeah. Do you want to use it, you know, as a commercial, you know, as uh, for commercial flights, do you want to use it to drop cargo? Do you want to use it for that? And I think that like churches should be constantly asking the question of, what do we want to become? And so you can. And so when I say build the plane as we fly it, we have the structure together. You know, we, we have a, a good structure. We, we you know how it works. Um, we have elders. We have you know a book of confessions. We you know everything is set. We have a nice website. Um, but we're constantly asking the question of what what you know, building a place to fight, it has to do with purpose, you know? So there might come a you know, so like, um, you know, like I said, there might come a point with the plane analogy. Yeah. There might be a point where we're, you know, commercial airline, commercial flights, you know, we're just here for people to have a, to help people on their journey with God, you know, to fly people from point A to point B. But then there might come a time when the community asking, well, what do we really want to be says, well, no, we actually want to be a cargo plane. 
And that means that we want to just go out and, and serve and get involved in, in, um, in social initiatives. You know, okay, fine. Or there might come another point where the community says, well, um, you know, other purposes come up. But, but, but I think that what every church needs to be open to is the idea that this is not going to last forever. There's going to come a point where the plane has to be scrapped. Mm-hmm. And they have to keep that in mind and be willing. You have to be willing to die at some point. You know, you have to accept that, you know, accept that possibility. So, yeah, with building the plane is we fly it. Uh-huh. You know, I would say that, you know, correcting it, it's, it's the purpose of what are we using this plane for? What, what is this community for? And then also with an end game, you know, like like right now, we're kind of in the caravan phase, or you know, and we're asking, do we want to live in the camper? Do we still want to be a camper? Mm-hmm. Well, no, there's not enough room in the camper for the people that are coming into our community. So we're like, all right, well, let's become a tiny house. And that's the goal we have now, mm-hmm. where we're still mobile, but we have all those comforts of home. And there may come a day where people in our community say, well, we want to be an established church. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. You know, go for it. Um, and so, yeah. So I hope in those ramblings, <laughs> yeah. I, I answered your question. <laughs> for sure. Was was you, was there a parallel uh, between you coming back to Christianity and you kind of swallowing the pill or like digesting the idea that idealism or, or, or maybe coming to terms with a lack of practicality of idealism? Because it sounds like, it sounds like you and I maybe have similar um, perspectives on, uh, like I, I I really like the metaphor of um, of maybe a church being like a house that that is collapsing on itself, so we can take something from that rubble and try to build a new shelter, or we can, or you know, being a a, a, a sinking ship and we're we're patching it up as we go. I feel like you and I have kind of similar perspectives on that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just wondering. Did it sounds to me maybe like, and again, I'm, I'm kind of doing that. What's it called? That that thing that Socrates did when he would try to state someone back to somebody to see if he he understood what they were trying to say. Questioning. What's that? Like rhetorical questions. Rhetorical question. No, yeah, not a rhetorical. It's it's like it's a method of trying to see if you're understanding what someone is saying by putting it into your own terms and saying it back mm. to them. Anyways. Okay. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm just curious. Um, it sounds like maybe you were. Um, kind of born into a, an idea or, you know, I think probably most, if not all young people are kind of born into like an idealistic presumption, like, okay, we're going to make this all perfect. Like, you know, the, the, the blissful ignorance of youth, like we're going to get this perfect. And then it sounds to me like you're expressing that, like you came to a point where it's like, well, you know what, this is broken, but we're going to see what we can salvage or what we're going to, we're going to see what we can fix as it keeps on moving forward. Sort of a thing is—is is that kind of how you how you see the church capital C? Oh man, when I got the call to church planting, I was actually in a congregation that came out of that very process. In New Orleans, there was an old Presbyterian church, and it was um it was dying, mm. and um and so what happened was that um the um the 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 uh, and, and and I was really amazed by it. The, the members of that church who were quite elderly were like, we need to close this down. They were like, um, but we have all these endowments. We have this property. 
we have the baptismal font and the pulpit and all of this. What are we going to do with it? And so there was an organization from, from um, that um, does church planning, another Presbyterian um, organization, and they and they said, well, how about you use this to give birth to a new community? Mm. And so what this church literally did is they had a funeral for their congregation. They put a, they put an obituary wow, in the newspaper. They had a funeral. They sent out invitations to the to, to the funeral, and p- you know, people were black, and, and folks showed up to this rickety old Presbyterian church. And then, um, and then they, you know, they they closed it down. And then they told the people um, at the luncheon. They said, um, after the luncheon, please stay behind for the reading of the will. <laughs> And so the people hmm. went in the room with the parsonage and there's there's the table with the box, you know, on it. And there's the lawyer. They had an actual lawyer there. Really? And the lawyer opens and reads the will. And it said, um, I, such and such Presbyterian church being of sound mind, do bequeath my uh, all of all of my assets to my daughter. Um, such as Presbyterian church that that will be moving to New Orleans and um and this new community came in, and what was beautiful is, is that they got rid of the building. They 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 meet in the um that they share um a um, building with another with a host congregation. They do their liturgy different. Um, the pastors, I mean, are just phenomenal. They have um, whiskey and hymns every month, <laughs> you know, and, and and they invite local distillers. Um, to come in and during uh, during that evening, the guy talks about you know the distiller, the representative talks about how they make their whiskey, what's special about it. Then um, the people drink a bottle of their whiskey and sing hymns, you know. And so I, I'm all for that. I, I, you know, one of the things that I would love to do someday is kind of be almost a church undertaker, Hi. you know, <laughs> and go around to some of these old communities um, because in, in Holland. They actually have ministers. It's kind of like church hospice care. They go in and they help these old congregations to accept, you know, to work through the stages of dying. Hmm. And so and I th- and I think that, like, what the American church desperately needs is almost kind of a hospice care hmm. uh, of pastors who go around and say, all right, um, kind of like a doctor, um, you you have. A limited amount of time to live, mm-hmm. um, and we need to move you towards acceptance. And, and what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Are you? I like that. To, That's really great. Are you going to stay on life support and have your mm-hmm. ten old ladies, you know, or uh, yeah, in the building, or are you going to, you know, pass on your your life in a way and, and let something else come up, you know, and so. Yeah, and and so so that's yeah, I completely agree with you, man. Um, I think there's things in the old forms that we can salvage. Yeah, and so yeah. Do all churches go to heaven when they die? (laughs) (laughs) Nah. (laughs) No, that's cool, man. I like that. That's a really great. That's a that's a beautiful sentiment and expression of 
of that is with the whole that that's a massive metaphor. I like that a lot. Scotty, I want to be. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. Yeah. Sometimes we do on the phone, but um, to be respectful of your time, since it's already like twelve thirty in the morning where you're at. Oh, it's all right. Um, <laughs> what? What? Um, and I want to say something else after this, but what's one thing that you want to leave our listeners? Um, if you could give give them one, one or two nuggets, um, because you know there's some people who listen obviously to our podcast who are Christians, some who are questioning, some who are deconstructing. What's one like nugget of uh, I guess something that you could give them? Oh man, oh uh, well, the one nugget that I would leave is that you can't be angry forever. You know because. Like, you know, when I think of my own experience of leaving Christianity, um, you know, my anger was, you know, anger is, is a healthy response. But um, eventually, and anger is, is like a balm for wounds. But eventually that anger poisons you. And you can't be angry forever. And I think a lot of people's... Um, I mean, I know atheists, for example, are post-Christian type folks who they have discerned to their way to that position. And they're at peace with, you know, they're like, well, religion is not my cup of tea, but if you're religious, oh, well, um, you know, we can still be friends and have a beer. But what I'm noticing is that there's a lot of people who, who are leaving the church and they hold on to that anger. And so my and my and so my nugget is that you can't be angry forever. You eventually have to get to a yeah. point where you face that because that anger w- will hold you back in so many areas of life. It and it and 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 it will hold you back from good relationships with religious people, and also seeing Christianity and and other religions in their totality and drawing the good good from them. Because if I would have held on to my anger, I never would have found, um, you know, learned about the ancient churches of Africa. I never would have found the calling that that I have now. I never would have encountered the Reformed Church. You know, I I would have been been stuck. And so the nugget of truth that I have is that you, 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 you can't be angry forever. It's okay to be angry, but you have to let that go. And. And I would encourage if, you know, if, if you're ever in Minneapolis, visit the Sacred Collective, because I think that that's what our space is like that. If you can find something in your city or your town, because these are the places where you can process that anger and really look in your heart and say, especially with, with church, what am I mad about? Am I mad at Jesus or am I mad at the church? And then think about it. You know, you remember when Rob Bell spoke at... um where was it? Woodland Hills. And he talked about anger at the church. And he said, you know, the church ultimately is a faceless institution. And you can't say, well, the whole church has hurt me. He's like, because you're forgetting the Chinese church, the South American church, the African Mm -hmm. church. You're forgetting, even in America, the black churches and the Hispanic churches and and, and white white churches outside of of that. You're forgetting that Christianity is so broad and diverse. He was like, so, so you know, so really ask yourself, who am I really angry at? And I guarantee you'll find when you put your anger into perspective that you're mad at 
a handful of people. And, and, and then at that point, you know, then ask, okay, looking back, maybe should I re-explore, you know, and, and get and, and get a different understanding of, of of Christianity, or should I continue on my way of 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 unbelief, or you know, wherever you are outside of the church, and that and and I'd say and that's okay, you know, but just make sure that you've gotten over your anger. You can't be angry forever because eventually it will become toxic and then make you toxic. And that's what it starts to do to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we leave, um, I like to tell people who are our guests, um, any socials, if you want people to connect with you and, or, um, if they want to connect with you for your church of all souls, cause um, I know you, you're you on Instagram and Facebook, so if you want to tell our listeners just so they can connect with what you're doing. I think we have some Swiss listeners, too. I, yeah, well, I think Scotty is our main Swiss listener. Uh, it's just you! <laughs> um, I can't say that's for all, but um, any, any um, real quick, Scotty, any socials that you want any of our listeners to um, connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so our website is allsouls.ch um of um a l l s um a l s o u l s dot c h um or or the for the schweizer um folk as is all um all the salen all souls so um yeah um yeah and so it's all souls.ch um our services our our worship gatherings are every sunday at 12 o'clock because um, we want people to be able to enjoy their morning. Mm. Um, you know, because, you know, when you say church at 9 or 10, people are rushing, especially when we got kids. So yeah, we have ridiculous. it at 12 so that people can enjoy their mornings with their families. Um, and and um, and we meet in Kirche Rotmonten, Berghaldenplatz 4 in St. Gallen. Uh, um, and, yeah, and, and also... Um, Look on our website. You'll see the phone number for the church. Give a call anytime. I can, you know, I can meet for a cup of coffee, and um, or whatever you like, and we we can chat. And um, and yeah, and I just encourage people come to check us out because we're a community of of people who who are finding their way together. And we just our goal is to gather around Jesus um, in word and sacrament and try to keep His way of service and love together. Not everybody is a saint. We know that. But everyone has a soul, and so all are welcome. Nice. Yes. Fantastic. Scotty, thank you so much for... Wait, real quick. Well, can you teach us some Swiss real quick? Was. Um, I know some Swiss. Can I say some Swiss? Because I was over there for two weeks. Yeah. Technically, I was on staff at a Swiss church for two weeks, right, Scotty? Yeah. Um, so I can say I worked overseas for mm-hmm. two, two weeks. Um, Regenbogen. Regenbogen. That is rainbow. Mm. Yes. Um, and Amanda found that out because, as Scotty said, that his wife Maria is a school teacher. So one day, where Scotty and I had to go to the office to do work, um, Amanda went with Maria to school, and uh-huh. all the kids were 
you know, first of all, they thought she was awesome because she was from America, uh-huh. which I don't get why people are like, oh, you're from America. Oh. And it's like, well, I, you know, whatever. Because I look at people from Switzerland, and I'm like, oh, you're from Switzerland. You're so awesome. Anyway, but then there's Bita, and Bita is Please? two different things. Like, Thank Bita is... Th- or, isn't Bita thank you and then also like check please? Yeah, please and thank it? you. When you want to say check please, it's Sala Bita. So is yeah, Swiss is Swiss mutually intelligible with German? Well, the thing is, we have four languages in Switzerland. We have Swiss German, right? Um, and there's Swiss French in the Romandie. Then we have um, you know Italian, and then we have a language called um, Reto Romanche. Which is basically um, Latin yeah. um, modernized. It sounds like Italian. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, and and they they speak. Is it from Vulgar Cal- Latin? Is it like yeah? It comes oh, from Vulgar cool, Latin. Um, and, and and it's spoken in Canton Graubünden, but only like three percent, I think, of the population speaks it. Swiss German. What's the name of that? La- I'm going to look that up. I'm a big language nerd. What's that? What was it called? Romanche. Romanche. Reto Romanche. Yeah, but um, but but with Swiss German or Schweizerdeutsch as we call it, um, it is, it's related um, to, some people call it middle, middle German. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's a totally different language from high German. High German mm-hmm. has grammar, you know. So, like, for example, if you were to say, like, um, you know, I am in Minneapolis, you would say, um, ich bin in Minneapolis. Okay. But in, in Swiss German, it is, Ich bin, ich bin um, Minneapolis, you know. So yeah, so so there's differences. There's not really a, a, a grammar um, same way. It's not as detailed as High German, we would call it. Cool. Um, but it's it's related to um, there's um, a, a, Schwa, a, a Swabia um, or Schwabenland, which is just across the lake from here. My favorite part of, of Germany. Um, and Swiss German, I can speak it there, and people understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, German huh. is German is my fatherland. Fatherland, yeah. fatherland, because my mom is German and Hungarian. Um, Scotty, before you leave, we asked this for all of our guests: Would you, in the future, anytime, be willing to be a guest again on our podcast? Yeah, man. You know that. You know, of course. I know it was a silly question. I knew I knew your answer. <laughs> yeah, it was a setup, but <laughs> it was a setup. Um, thank you for your awesome insight, kind words, and best wishes and good luck with All Souls. I know um, you and I talk a lot about what we're each doing, and um, I think what we're both doing is important. So kudos for what you're doing, and um, till next time, love you, man. Love you too. One last thing, you know, you know, just. I appreciate what y'all do. It's an encouragement to see how the sacred collective is growing. And um, one of my um, colleagues in Basel, Frank Lorenz, he said this. He said that um, because he's a part of a, a kind of a alternative community as well, the open church. And he said, we are the research and development of the church. Oh, that's good. Um, I like that. But, but yeah, you know, what, the work that we do, but the church just doesn't know it. And I think of, you know, like the guy from Office Space who, <laughs> with the stapler, how, no. they, how they put him. Yeah, how I they believe put you him have in, my stapler. Yeah, my stapler, yeah. And, and I, you know, I think, you know, that, that's, that with pioneering, that's, that's what we, that's kind of how we are in, in a way. Um, we've been put in, in the corner 
and we're crunching numbers, um, and the church doesn't see, you know, the, the wider church in many ways doesn't see our full value or the full worth of what we're doing. But, you know, that's what comes with, with pioneering. And from pioneering in our country came great cities. And I know that from like the sacred collective, from what you're doing as a pioneer, I really believe great things are going to come. And so know that we pray for you often and, um, and just, it's amazing what y'all do and keep it up. You know, don't be discouraged, um, and continue to be yourself. And, um, if anybody, um, tells you, you know, um, otherwise, um, they can piss off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. All right. We'll talk yeah. soon. All right. All right. Peace. Much love, y'all. Yep. All right. Thanks, man. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN. That was a post-Christian podcast. <laughs>